Hey, welcome to Now You Know podcast with Pastor Mark Vega, where every week, every Monday, we're going to be dropping a new episode where we're going to be debunking myths. We're going to be smashing through taboos and we're going to tackle tough topics, tough contemporary topics, religious topics, daily occurrences that are happening. We're going to debunk them. I want to have guests that have something to say. I want to have people that we can learn from and put them on the hot seat, ask them some tough questions. And I pray that this podcast not only be a blessing to your life, but to the kingdom of God. So we want to thank you for joining us today. You know, Proverbs 23, verse 1 and 2, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 1 and 2 says, When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite or to gluttony. Do not crave his food. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. I think the wisest and richest man in the world, King Solomon, is warning humanity, saying in this lifetime, especially if you're called by God, anointed by God, purposed by God, appointed by God, in this life, you will be tempted. You will be tempted with appetites. And when you study the context in which he's talking about, the context is not just literal, but metaphorical. He's saying you will be tempted. The enemy of your soul will tempt you so that you will deviate and give in to cravings. You know, the Bible says that when when Moses was in the desert leading a people, the people began to complain and they began to bicker and they began to whine and they began to say, when we were in Egypt, we were better off. When we had food, it was better than this thing called manna. And they started complaining. And the Bible says that God became irate. And not only did he become irate, he gave the meat which they had asked for until it came out of every cavity in their body. And the Bible says that right as they ate and choked on the meat, he allowed the land to open up and swallow them. And he called the place Kibroth Hatava. Kibroth Hatava, meaning the graves of craving. I believe what we're seeing today, people are asking, why are there so many ministers, pastors, some notable, others in obscurity, falling from grace, going into relationships, extramarital relationships, living in excessivity, getting bounced by the IRS, getting arrested. What is going on in this, in this time that we live in? Well, King Solomon already knew that would happen, and he warns us, as does Paul and the New Testament, but we have to understand that what we're seeing today in the news, in the front page, all of these scandals that we're seeing with notable pastors and preachers should not alarm us. Let me tell you why. Because the world and the systems of this world are conducive to that type of of lifestyle. What are you saying, Pastor Mark? I'm saying the lifestyle of self-indulgence, 
the lifestyle of excessivity, the lifestyle of permissiveness, of privilege. There's been a lot of talk about white privilege and and all kinds of, I I know there's Latino, brown privilege, black privilege, white privilege, but there is is a self-privilege. I'm afraid there's a ministerial privilege, a pastoral privilege that we have subscribed to that gives us allowances. Here's why, because we think that we work so hard for the kingdom that we deserve them. We think that we deserve, and so we'll self-impose some indulgences because we think that we are God's men cut with God's same scissors that other great men and women of God were cut with. We are of that fabric. Are we not men of the cloth? Why not live a little excessive? We deserve it. Nothing can be further from the truth. The gospel's thread And every gospel writer's goal was for us to live a life of self-denial, self-deprivation, to live a life of abnegation. Whatever happened to the word temperance? I have not heard the word temperance in a sermon in the last 30 years. Why are there so many ministers falling from grace? Because We are living in a society, in a world conducive to give us, to allow us to splurge in the excessive cravings, whether they're spiritual, emotional, psychological, physical, ministerial, marital, or financial. Now, let me tell you one of the greatest things that ever happened, and I'm so grateful for it, was that when I was 28 years old in 1998, God gave me an opportunity through a tremendous man of God by the name of George McGovern, who is still the head chaplain of the New York Yankees and the New York Giants, offered me an opportunity to become a chaplain from the minor league system. I I was given spring training. From spring training, I traveled on on various road trips. I did this for 15 years. And let me tell you, this was a school of humility. It was a school that taught me that I need to stay in my lane. It conditioned my heart. After all, the Bible says that the greatest, most deceptive thing that you and I have is our heart. It ain't the devil it ain't even your flesh, even though your flesh fights against your spirit, Galatians 5, 17, so you ought not do what you should, but your, your, your heart is deceptive, deceptive. You can think you're doing something that is, that is, that will eradicate evil and you can think you're doing something great, but before you know it, what you're doing is contrary to what God's spirit is, has primed you for. And I'll tell you, in those 15 years as a chaplain for the Yankees, I learned how to repel ambition. I learned how to repel ambition, competition, comparison. I knew the lane that God had me in. And I never, not once, not once, tried to abuse abuse the relationships that I was given to manage because 
the common denominator of chaplaincy for me was, I don't want anything from you. I have something for you. What is that something? I've got the power of the gospel. It served as a seminary, if you will. I would, I would jump into my jalopy that was parked right outside the stadium in between in between Bentleys and Mercedes and every and any car you can imagine, there was my 1986 Toyota, 12 years old, that I was proud of. My father had given it to me. I would jump in that car and go home, understanding the value of temperance, the value of obedience, and the value of restraint. Now, I think this is important, and let me tell you why this is important, because it was a, a school for me. I understood the power and the weaponry that we had through Scripture. Scripture allows us and it gives us the opportunity to live a life conducive to God's word. And so let me tell you, because I read this often, I'm reading this often, right? These ministries, I was in Tampa, I lived in Tampa, and there were some major ministries with the same issues in New York, same issues. Whether you look from coast to coast, north, south, east, and west, what is it about men and women of God falling in excessivity, falling in immorality. I think what they fall, and please understand what I'm saying, I think what they fall with is a side effect of the rooted issue. The rooted issue is a lack of temperance, a lack of self-deprivation, self-denial, a lack of Luke 9.23. We cannot have a gospel if we don't have Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he was first, 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 not second, not third, not fourth, first, deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. It pains me and it worries me. It concerns me with great urgency when I see people living and trying to appear, trying to appeal, trying to gain notoriety by what they have, what they wear, what they drive, and where they live. Now, listen, the gospel is not for poor folks. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you cannot be blessed. God knows who to bless, but according to Luke 9, 16, he blesses those that he can trust. Now, this is, for me, this is amazing because when I read Luke 9, when I, when I read the book of Luke, chapter number 16, this man, Luke, is a historian. He's also a doctor, and he is breaking down what money really is. And he says, money is really a test. If you cannot be tested, if you cannot pass the test, if you cannot be faithful with money, how will you then be entrusted with spiritual riches. Now, the final outcome of living a life of excessivity is to get an article written up on you 
saying that you spent thousands of dollars and it was a church parsonage. My God, a church parsonage, a place where shepherds of God, shepherds of the kingdom are allowed to live in not $3 million homes or $8 million mansions. Excessivity. Well, well, pastor, I don't see I don't see that I don't see anything wrong with this. Well, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion, but I just want you to know we ought not be surprised. The gospel warns us. It's a warning against self-indulgence, against permissibility, against privilege, against allowance, against excessivity. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. <laughs> the king, the king, King Solomon is saying, if you have an opportunity to dine with a ruler. Don't, don't jump excessively and start eating everything on that table. Why? Because it is going to be an indictment against restraint. And if you give yourself to that, which satisfies you carnally, you will give yourself to that, which satisfies you sinfully if you don't believe me ask samson the bible says that samson a nazarite he had a covenant he could not he could not cut his hair he could not drink wine and he could not touch anything that was dead but the bible tells us that when he killed the lion as he walked through the path with his parents, he returned back famished. He was starving. And there is freshly made honey inside the carcass of the lion. He is now in an inflection point. He is now at a point where he'll either obey the spiritual covenant given to him by God or he'll obey his carnal impulse. The Bible says he did the latter. He obeys his carnal impulse. He enters the carcass of the lion and he breaks spiritual covenant at the expense of eating honey and satisfying his flesh. My friend, my friend, listen, sin does not pay off. It is not worth it. It is not worth it. There is a price. There is a price. And whenever you read ministers and they abuse their, everybody now has a PEX card. They call it PEX card. And those really are, those are prepaid expense cards. They're really given to the pastor as an allowance. If there's no restraint, you're going to see the $700 sneakers. You're going to see the excessivity. You're going to see the lifestyle. One of the things that we got to understand about high profile pastors is that the reason why they call high profile is because they walk around with high profile people. You, you can be assigned to a group of people, but understand that you ought to be consecrated from the people. I'm not going to tell you that I didn't go out and eat at, at Ruth Chris or at Morton Steakhouse, but it was it came by an invitation. I'm not going to say that I don't have anything worth value. I do have things worth value given to me throughout the trajectory. One thing that I do understand and, and know is that I know my lane. I know my lane. And sometimes I would gain respect because I was not regarded as a fan. I was not trying to live the lifestyle. 
I was not trying to come out of my rhythm, out of my lane. I understood my assignment. It was much greater than rocking some Balenciagas. It was much greater than trying to pose with a Gucci belt because all, all I could afford is a belt. It was much greater than trying to rock a Louis Vuitton hat. It was much greater than trying to rock something I could not afford, whether it was Ferragamo or Versace or, or Burberry. I was not trying to front. I understood I had, I had something of value. And not understanding, understanding that misconstruing that was going to affect not only my testimony, but it would affect the word that God gave me for them. I believe, I'm a firm believer, that how you live your life, how you live your life would affect the impact of your words. It will affect the impact of what you say. It will affect the impact of not only what you say and not only of your words, but it will affect the impact of that eternal soul. Sometimes it's not worth it. Sometimes it's not worth trying to fit in and trying to, what do we see today? We see ministers and pastors and leaders that cannot even celebrate the victory of their contemporaries, their colleagues, their so-called friends, because they are jealous, because they're haters, because they are, because they are in competition. Not all of them, not all of them. I believe, I choose to believe it's a small percentage, but it's a reality. It's a reality. Not everybody is going to give you a round of applause or stand an ovation because you have succeeded. There are some people that just look on your page and visit incognito your social media outlets to see if you are failing yet. Because guess what? They failed a long time ago. I'm a big dude and I can tell you something. As soon as... I one time I lost about 85, 87 pounds and I got the weirdest looks from guys that were as big as I was. Now, guess what? The moment I lost the weight, they started giving me crazy looks. Unfortunately, I gained that weight back and then some. And when I gained that weight back and then some, they became my friends again. I'm here to tell you the only true cheerleader you got in your corner is called the Holy Spirit. Learn to please him. Do not. And I want to say this. I want to say this to anybody that's listening and, and you are deceived into thinking that you must, you must be like everyone else. You are aborting the weapon of consecration, the weapon of separation. Separation and consecration doesn't mean that you have to live a life conducive to Little House in the Prairie or that you have to become Amish. What I'm trying to tell you is you can be trendy, you can be holy, you can be Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, but have the power, the power of temperance, knowing that if eating meat is going to cause my brother to sin, then let me not eat meat. I will not give myself over to indulgences because if I do, then I will cause others to fall. There's a pristine difference between privacy and secrecy. Secrecy means I have to hide it. That's where sin abides, in secrecy.
Secrets must be hidden. Privacy is what God is what Jesus said we ought to have. Don't let your right hand know what your left one is doing. Privacy is guarded. Secrecy is hidden. God wants you to walk in the statutes of his word, and God tells us to by the power of his word, walking a life of equilibrium, balance, power, and alertness. We ought to be alert. And so the toxicity of affirmation is that we live in a society and we now hire friends, we fire friends, we get rid of corners. We want to walk around with people that affirm us. This is where it starts. This is how pastors fall. You get rid of people in your life that hold you accountable. You get rid of people in your life that get in your face, that take your calling serious, that tell you, Pastor, you ought not be looking like that. Pastor, I saw you look at that girl twice. If it's a male pastor, I, I kind of saw, you know, $600, sneakers, $700 sneakers. I mean, are you bawling like that? Pastors, I, I, I kind of know, you know, people surround yourself with people that are going to keep you accountable in every way, shape or form. I believe I believe we should have someone overlooking, mentoring, coaching, not only our churches, but our marriages, our lives, even our theology, because a lot of heresy starts when there's no one to hold you accountable for the miscontextualized points that eventually turn into a pattern of heresy. Accountability, accountability is what God wants us to have. Vertically, vertically, God gives us instruction. We learn, we glean, he teaches us, we hear his voice. But horizontally, we get healed. Confess our sins one to another, whereby we shall be healed. Sometimes we want to confess vertically, which you can, but the manifestation of that confession is going to be in the application of your confession horizontally, not vertically. In other words, every good response to the altar must be followed up by your band of brothers or sisters where you confess to them that which you gave to the Lord. And I want you to hold me accountable. I just gave God this, whether it's cigarettes, whether it's a lifestyle, whether it was a mentality. I gave God, if you see me leaning, bending, Towards that, I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to, I want you to snatch me out of that because I cannot, I will not, I must not fall back to the things that God delivered me from. So I'm giving you a key and a license to hold me accountable, to 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 wound me. The Bible says that the the wounds of a friend are faithful, but the kisses of an enemy are poison. So if you're my friend, if you're my boy, if you're my BFF, then I expect you to wound me. If your friend has not offended you, wounded you, offense is a choice. That's a whole other podcast. But if your friend has not hurt you, has not wounded you, then guess what? They're not your friend. Friends wound. Friends wound with truth. God give us friends. God give us a corner. God, let us not be underachievers. Let us be all that God 
called us to be. Let us live the life that God called us to live and let us never get drunk and intoxicated with affirmation to a point that we become delusional and we think that the the way of life is having people that agree with us and agree with everything we want to do, whether that's a church board, a corporate board, whether those are friends, we want to be surrounded by people that hold us accountable, that tell us those things that others are thinking but never say. I learned a long time ago, when you become the most influential person in your circle, you better find a new circle. When you become the best boxer in your gym, find a new gym. Because your circle will provocate greatness that only God has instilled in you. Until next week, I pray that God keeps you. I pray that God preserves you. And I pray that you recalibrate your corner. Don't be the Mike Tyson of ministry. Mike Tyson loses his belt February 11th, 1990 in the Tokyo Dome to a 42 to 1 underdog by the name of Buster Douglas. Not because he wasn't a great fighter, but because he had no corner. His eye swells. They have no answer, no equipment, no experience. He has no one in his corner that can lo- that can lessen the swelling. He has no one in his corner that can give him strategy. As a matter of fact, they didn't even have ice in his corner. One of the guys, this is Mike Tyson, the the the, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world worth $300 million, 30 years ago, 31 years ago. And let me just tell you that one person in his corner has to go to concessions to get ice after he went back to the locker room to get a first aid kit they didn't have a bag of ice he had to get a latex glove and if you look at that fight you see mike tyson with it totally dejected totally lost confused with a bag with what looks like a bag but it's nothing more than a latex glove filled with ice and he loses his titles and he never he never He never recuperates the influence, nor could he recuperate the titles he once held. Lord, give us a corner that can tell us how to win, how to fight, that can hold us accountable, that can give us strategy, and that in moments of life, when we swell up with the pressures of this world, someone that you can send to our corner, that we can have on the ready to decompress the swelling. Until next time, this is Pastor Mark Vega, again, telling you that we'll be back next Monday. Stay tuned. Share this podcast. We love you. I believe in you. And I look forward to speaking with you again.